Welcome to Living Word Bible Church, a lovely place for families where we have a passion to sing great songs to Jesus and where sound Bible teaching is central in home groups and in preaching at Sunday services. Living Word Bible Church, teaching the Bible verse by verse. Hello, uh, Living Word Bible Church, and to everyone who is with us online. It's good that you're with us. And this morning, our Bible reading is the first nine verses of Philippians 4. So Philippians 4, 1 to 9. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my dear friends. I plead with you earlier, and I plead with you to be of the same mind Check the Facebook live for this yes. coming across and I ask you, my true help these women, since oh, they have attended at my side in the cause yeah. of the Gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, mm. whose yeah. names are in the Living Word in the Lord always, Yes. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. So let me begin. Uh, look, the secret to a happy life. What's the secret to a happy life? Happy boy. Happy boy. <laughs> that's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From experience. Well, actually, it's none. It's none. And, and, because, and if we've got any maturity behind us, if we've lived life to any degree, we know... But there is no secret to a happy life because there is no real, lasting, fulfilling, happy life. If you don't believe me, ask those who've got everything. Ask those who've got everything. Right down to Alexander the Great. Apparently when he conquered the world, he felt there was no more reason to live. Life doesn't truly, ultimately provide lasting happiness for anyone in this world. And that is an honest reflection from anybody who will answer honestly. And, and for the Christian, it, 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 it gets more mysterious because here's what Jesus said. If anyone would come after me, so he's going to give you, he's going to give you your best life now, right? Listen to him. Listen to Jesus. If anyone would come after me, and this is his this is his marketplace speech to draw people to his king, to himself. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross 
and follow me. It doesn't sound very happy, does it? It doesn't. Uh, and then he, go, he continues uh, a bit later, for whoever wants to save his life, whoever wants to get himself a really happy life, whoever wants to set himself up you know, in, in a great spot, who wants to put his feet up because he's now got enough, he can live life to the end, you know, whoever wants to really make something of his life, here's what Jesus says. He'll lose it. The very pursuit of happiness leads to utter misery. The very pursuit of it. And so, friends, we see the happiness, at least in the way that the world understands it, is something that is elusive to all of its inhabitants. And for the Christian, Jesus has these particularly enigmatic words to say. And yet, and we ought to say, we ought to respond. It was, used to be my favourite sermon. When I, used to, when I was cutting my teeth in preaching, uh, when I was 16, uh, I used to have my favourite sermon, and it was on John 10.10. 10, For I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And I used to preach that in the marketplace in West Bromwich in, in the UK, you know, in the heart of the West Midlands there. You know, God wants to give you a better life, a better job, a better career, a, a better home, a better marriage, better bank balance. I used to preach that. Seriously. Okay? I was only 16. Okay? Jesus says that though, doesn't he? Look, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. He says that, doesn't he? No, he doesn't. What's he saying when he says that? What was he saying there? What was he thinking? Have a guess. Yeah. He was in theological terminology, Sarah. He was speaking eschatologically. And if you don't believe me, after millions and millions and millions of Christians who have lived since that day, and every one of them will tell you he wasn't talking about your life now. You see, it's never been your best life now. It never has. And so Jesus, whatever he was saying, he wasn't talking about dishing out happiness like there's no tomorrow. He wasn't. It's the experience of all Christians. And so the only way we can read it it was eschatological because the reality, life in this world often has suffering, trials and pain. Hey, look, I don't need to tell us that, do I? Suffering, trials and pains. There's a saying back in the UK, you've heard me say it a few times, uh, it's not all jam tomorrow. You do say that, it's a war saying. You know that term? Think about it. You can imagine what it means, can't you? They used to say during the war, you know, it's, it's, all, it's jam tomorrow because you never had any jam to give to the kids to pull on their bread because of the rations. I know, you see. Like, I wouldn't know. I've read about it. Okay? Right? Okay? And, and there was that saying that came along about, you know, from, that, from those days, it's jam tomorrow. We we're forever putting off the jam. And, and so the Bible can seem like that if we read it properly and yet it's not quite all jam tomorrow because I'm going to give you some jam today in fact for the next I reckon four weeks maybe five we'll finish chapter four before we start our new series in Jonah 
Okay, there's going to be a lot of jam. Okay, so come with your slices of bread, and we're going to lay them with jam. And the Bible gives us some jam from the pot, from the eschatological pot, and it gives you a little bit of it along the way. I mean, more I can pick. That's that's it's kind of what God is giving you, surely. Morag, after the years of pain and darkness, okay, a season of jam. So, when you go up there, I want you to buy a little little tub of jam, okay, and put it on the mantel place, and I want you to remember that this is a little bit of jam that you're withdrawing from the eschatological pot. So don't have it all, just have to take one little bit at the top, just so you can see, as a reminder, you, you're having a bit of your jam. Now, that's a bit less jam for you in the future, though, okay? When you get there, we can remind God, can't we, that you get less jam, okay? And so, we get a bit, and this is what Philippians 4 is about. And so, my title is this. I think I've got, it's, it's going to come up soon. There it is. It's on the left there. My title is this. The secret to, the secret to a happy Christian life. Because there is some jam, and I want to share that with you. And Philippians 4 gives us, introduces us to that. So our heading is this. This is our heading for today. I've got two. The first one today is, An authentic community is found in lovingly looking out for one another. An authentic community is found in lovingly looking out for one another. Am I my brother's keeper? Who cares what happens to him? Hey? You know, am I responsible for him? Why should I be responsible for him? Am I my brother's keeper? The well, first one, therefore, my brothers, and look, that's inclusive, okay? I know it sounds male, it's inclusive. It means, it means you as well, Penny, okay? So, it's brothers, okay? Therefore, my brothers, brethren, the church, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord dear friend so it's 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 linking to what's been said if you remember chapter 4 close with paul pointing people to the cross and pointing people to jesus's return and so he's picking up on that theme so he wants you to hold on to that i'm telling you there is something you know the phrase and i don't want to rubbish it because it's applicable in some context let go and let god it's useful sometimes but i want to suggest to you that the christian life is less about letting go and letting god because it's really lazy okay and it's more about it's more about holding on and standing firm it's more proactive okay christianity makes you fit it gets you working it gets you doing and paul after preaching to this church now he doesn't want them to let go and let god and just sit back now, pray lots, and God will sort you out. No, you go do something. Okay? Act. Right? It's a bit like, I guess, when we leave the service here. Uh, it'd be good if we all did something in response to the sermon. I mean, change the way we live. And so this is what he wants of them. He wants them to stand firm. It's action, proactive. It's, it's holding on. And letting God's purposes find their way. Notice his tone that he uses here. Whom I love and long for. I love Paul. I said that to you. Because I just love his heart. 
what kind of relationship has he got towards this church? This fledgling church. Can you see there? Whom I love and long for. So can you see what Paul's service? Paul wasn't paid for being... Look, we pay pastors. We pay church workers if we can afford them. Okay? It's a biblical thing to do. Paul encouraged it. He says, do not muzzle an ox whilst he's ploughing. But you know, he never ever took pay for himself. Never. Uh, and, and so for Paul, it's to do with this. Can you see? He's serving this church and his primary motive is love. And so regardless of whether or not we're paid or not, I know, look, as a pastor, you know, you obviously pay me a salary, but it's not about the pay. It should never be about the pay. I mean, Lee's doing the IT. We pay him a lot of money to do that. Okay? The highest earner here. Okay? But, Lee, it's not about the pay, is it? It's not about the pay. Seriously. And it's, it must never be about the pay. There must never be any reason that we serve Jesus' church, whether it's IT, whether it's setting up, or whether it's putting up banners, doing junior church, organizing events. It must never be for any other reason but for love. So what it's about it's for love for one another love for Jesus and, and, and because it's, it's, it's that notice what, what it is Paul says he loves these people he serves them because he loves them and so there's an eschatological response you are my joy and my crown and Paul understands that when he stands before God and, and what, what God says to him what have you got to show for your life Paul what has Paul got to show for his life? His act of love in investing in that church. And let me tell you this. You know, one of the reasons I do this job, and don't be disappointed, is because I want to be able to say to Jesus, see those scoundrels? I took care of them. Now, I want to be able to say to Jesus, see those people, Lord? I did what I could. I did what I could. I did my best. I did everything I could. You are. And that sounds very joyous. You know when you stand before God, Bron, your contribution to this church is what you, what you take with you. The love that we invest in writing Sunday school material, working with children, putting all, all those hours in. You know, for each of us in the church, not just me, for each of us, we do... Tons of stuff nobody ever knows about, ever sees. Seriously. When you stand before God, that'll be your joy and your crown. And so what, well, how does that encourage us? To do a little more, doesn't it? To work a bit harder for God. To put those hours in. Nobody has to know. But when we stand before Jesus, that will be a reflection of what our lives have been about my joy and my crown. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche, two ladies with bizarre names, okay, to agree with each other in the Lord. Hey, you may not believe this, but Christians, okay, good Christians, can be a loggerhead with one another. Seriously, I have never, I've been in churches where people, no joke, 
haven't spoken to each other for decades. You think I'm joking, don't you? Who haven't, never, haven't said a word for decades since the last time someone crossed them. Seriously, if you're wondering why I don't speak to you much, you know the answer, don't you? Okay, some, some decades. And here's a situation where two good Christians, these are godly Christians, okay, who, who've got issues here. He pleads with them to agree with each other in the Lord. Verse 3, yes, and I ask you, loyal yoke fella, okay, this may be a companion of, companion of Paul, someone, this may be a nickname, okay, it could be Luke, it could be Timothy, it's somebody obviously that Paul has a lot of confidence in. He's asking him, help these women who have contended on my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Can you see what's said about them? First, okay, leave aside that they're not in speaking terms with each other. But these are godly Christians. They labor with Paul in the gospel. They've got their names in the Lamb's Book of Life. They're authentic Christians. Authentic Christians who have been great gospel workers but who can't speak to each other, can't say nice words to each other in church or any time it seems. And so here's a reality about the Christian life, friends. Hey, the best Christians, the godliest ones, can fall out. If you've joined this church recently, and if you imagine that this is a wonderful group of people who never say a crossword to each other, why do you think they're leaving? Hey, good Christians, godly Christians. Remember Paul and Barnabas? I mean, these are like the, the top step candidates, okay? And so, hey. It, it, it happens, okay? We don't get too excited about it. Christians fall out. But we can't work this thing out by ourselves. Okay? We need to work together. We kind of have to get it sorted. We have to overcome it, if you like. I'm going to miss the illustration because I'm sure I'm speaking too long. So we'll miss the illustration. Move on to John 13. Hey, we've got to work this thing out. And here's what Jesus says to us. A new command I give you. You hear me say, it's my mantra. Okay, okay. Moses does not tell me how to live my life. Okay? It's Jesus. You've heard me say this, we're not in the law, we're in the grace. Except for this one law. It's the only law the Christian has. If you want to know if we're not on the law we're in the grace we are Jesus gives there is one law the only law that the Jesus gives to his church the only law that you have as a Christian is the one law that encompasses everything about how to live the Christian life okay I have a time to explain it all for now but at least in this context here's the one law you have as Christians and it's this Love one another. So can you see what the issue is with Euodia and Syntyche? They're failing the one fundamental, the only law the church has. And they're failing it. And it has to be sorted. And I guess the thing for us is, friends, yes, it's going to happen. We are going to fall out. Okay? 
We're all going to wander each other up. The best of Christians. But it can't be left. We can't leave it for 20 years. We can't. It has to be sorted. Somebody, and it might as well be you because it won't be the other person, okay? Somebody has to pick up the phone and say, let's, get, let's sort this out. Let's go out for dinner, okay? You're buying. Because <laughs> I phoned, so you can buy. Let's go out to dinner and let's talk this over. Christian, we have to deal with our differences and make this work. Love one another. Love one another. An authentic community is found in loving one another. I talked about jam tomorrow. Do you know how we get jam? Tomorrow's jam today in our church community. We learn to love each other. And in doing so, it becomes eschatological. We get an experience of the happiness of heaven when we relate to one another lovingly. Number two. And I want to spend more time on number two. The peace of God is found in living in a state of being in prayer. The peace of God is found in living in a state of being in prayer. It's a state. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again. Rejoice. He's repeating himself thrice at least. He's already said this. He's repeating himself here. It's an important prelude to everything else. Friends, keep that attitude of joy. And it's joy in the Lord. We quoted this, I think, when we did chapter 3 months back. Here it is again. Gordon Fee. Our joy, Jesus Christ, is to be the source, object, and sphere of our joy. The reason we can be joyful, even when it's windy and rainy, and it feels like you're in Antarctica, all the way over here in Australia, the reason we can still be joyful is because I'm sitting underneath the heater. Okay? Now, the reason we can still be joyful is because Jesus is constant. Verse 5, let your gentleness be evident to all. That sounds really wimpish, doesn't it? You know, you don't think of, you know, brethren especially and being gentle. But the word is, commentators, scholars, linguists tell us that the word is better translated graciousness. Let your graciousness be evident to all. When the Bible uses words, it doesn't always use them to their full extent. It's why when handling Bible texts, the context is a better evaluator of what's going on than the words themselves, okay? But here at least, that all is very significant. He wants the graciousness to be evident to all. He's thinking much bigger than the church. He's thinking of the world. And so his point is that the, the way that they're gracious, okay, towards one another should be a powerful testimony to the world they live in. The world out there. And it happened in the Roman days. Do you know, you know one of the th- reasons that the Romans who persecuted Christians began to feel sorry for Christians, began to feel some sympathy, you know, because of the state-wide, the state-wide policy towards Christians, is because they saw how they loved each other. And so that's the point here I think Paul is making is that this graciousness we have towards each other has this evangelistic impact that the world sees 
However else they may be critical about us, the way we dress, you know, in the way we are, and the fact we drive too slow, and we try and keep to the speed limit, and with goody two-shoes, if someone's paid us 10 cents too much, we have to walk back to the shop and give it back to them, and whatever else we may do, okay? You know, something they should, should see in us that's positive is that we love each other, that we're good to each other, gracious to each other. And I think Paul just finishes off with the Lord is near. He's reminding us, say, I know it's hard to live in this manner. Hey, well, God's coming back. Okay? And he will reward each one of us for what we have done. Verse 6. And this is really where, the, where my, I want to get relate to my heading. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your requests to God and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus do not be anxious it's a command that's like saying to a screaming child don't cry it doesn't work does it matter? it just doesn't work and so it's somewhat bizarre but, but we need to follow it through um, but, but, but first, let me just start here. Look, I've got a quote from a commentator. Here's the issue. When we're anxious, we're betraying a lack of trusting God's care. And it's, and it's a species of unconscious blasphemy against him. Can you see this? I'm not as strong, but can you see what he's saying? Okay, when, you're, when we're anxious, we're saying something about God. It's a form of blaspheming him because we're suggesting that actually he doesn't care. He won't do anything. He's absent, able. So the command is there, we're not to be anxious. And, and the first thing we should know with, with such an impossible command is that whatever God asks us, asks us to do, he empowers us to do. You know what he said to the cripple? I think it's bizarre. It's, it's, uh, I'm sure the Bible is full of comedy. You know, when he says to the cripple, you know, get up, take up your mat and walk, it almost seems like comedy, doesn't it? The guy who's already said to Jesus, he'd been lying there for decades, and Jesus says to him, well, just go up and walk, just go home. And it's like, hasn't Jesus heard anything I've just said to him? But can you see the point when Jesus, the, the point Jesus is making? When he speaks, I'm going to take it a bit further back, he spoke a creation, okay? And he spoke to, we call it ex nihilo, okay? Okay, out of nothing. When he spoke to creation, and creation didn't exist, what occurred? Pardon? It came, it happened. He says, let there be light, and there wasn't any light, and there was light. Things just happen. When Jesus speaks, his words carry the power of to respond when he says to the cripple get up and walk he wasn't making mockery of him he was imparting power to walk when he says to you and me through Paul do not be anxious about anything what's he doing with the command he's imparting the, the necessary aptitude to respond and in this sense at least he, he, he spells out how that grace comes to us. And here's how. It says, don't be anxious. Okay? And now here's how that grace is going to come to us. But 
but by everything, by prayer, sorry, by prayer and petition, present your requests to God. So we don't be anxious. And here's how. Okay? Get on your knees. And do relationship with God. That's what he's saying. We keep saying this and we brand it around like we mean it. And we don't, do we? Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. Amen! If you're right, it's true. So do it. What do you do in a relationship? We communicate. And I think that's what's going on here. Is that it goes, don't be anxious. Instead, talk to God. Don't get all frustrated. Have a conversation with God. And okay, and he may not be, okay, God, let's have a sit down. I just want to share with you, you know, how anxious I've been lately. Okay, you won't do it like that necessarily, will you? It'll be more like, God! Don't you care? I'm drowning. That's okay. That's okay. He can put up with your frustrations. He's not scared of a bit of emotion. Hey, I can tell you this, okay? As someone who handles the Bible, God is much rather you be honest with him in whatever tone is necessary than you try and beguile him with, oh God, you know, I know you're really busy and I know, you know, just tell him, God, you seem like you're too busy to me. Talk to him. Talk to him. Petition. And the idea there is that, that, that you are, you know, you're working through God. Look, there's this and there's this and there's this. And it's overwhelming. Look, can't you see what it's doing to me, God? Petition him. Put it out there. But along with the petition, it's a very important element there, right in the middle. It's the next underlining there for me, please, Charlie. Bring everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. It's, it's, look, you can't do without salt, can you? You can't eat food without salt. Have you tried it? It just doesn't work well. Right, okay? You need this. It's the thanksgiving that gives perspective because all of a sudden the thanksgiving is reminding you actually well you're not that bad after all are you God? because look I'm really stressed out about this but you, you gave me that new job recently and things are working much better and, and you know I've been doing much better lately and things are coming together and, and God you are good to me and, and you know what you're doing before, before long? The anxiety has already been dealt with because you're now realizing, as difficult as that situation is, boy, are you blessed! Boy, are you blessed! Thanksgiving is communicating and remembering and re experiencing God's goodness to us and reminding ourselves of how fortunate we really are. And as bad as things are, they really are not. Seriously, guys, I know sometimes we think it's. If this is as bad as it ever gets. It's not. It never is as bad as it ever gets. Okay? It's always, it can always get worse. I, I said that about golf. You know, sometimes I play golf and somebody says, oh, don't worry, it was a bad shot. You know, it can't get any worse. I'm like, are you being serious? It can always get worse. Seriously. You try it. Okay? And, and, and so however bad things are, the thankfulness reminds us, hey, it could be much, much, much worse. And so the, so the cause, the pathway for our cure to anxiety is talking to God. Giving Him the details. 
It's about thanksgiving, reminding ourselves of how good He really is. And more. And, and, and it's not necessarily in the answers. The thing about talking to God, it's not that experience where I've talked it out, and I'm going to go away, and I'm going to be much better now, because He's going to give it to me. Big time. Pressed down. Shaken together. Stirred up. Because here's the reality. If you know anything about prayer... No, he doesn't give it to you. He really, really doesn't. He rarely gives it to you the way you ask. Rarely. It's always modified, isn't it? You ask for something and it comes to you in a completely modified package. You don't even recognize it's an answer to your prayer, but it is. Okay? And so, the point is, our anxiety doesn't disappear because he's going to give you what you needed. He sorts that situation out because he very often doesn't sort it out. He's really slow. Okay? But what he does give you, he settles you down. He calms you. He whispers loving words to you. He reassures you. Hey, I know, I know it's bad. But it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Imagine a situation looking up. You've been in an accident, you're lying there. You know, somebody's called the ambulance. You know, and that's well and good. But even if you paid up your ambulance fee, they take a while to get to you, don't they? <laughs> okay? Here's where you find comfort. is when whoever's found you there, okay, just sits next to you and just begins to talk to you and tell you, hey, mate, it's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Look, I can see what's going on. I'm, look, that's fixable. Hey, that bike. Hey, don't worry about that bike. I'll tell you what, I'll get you a new bike. Do you know, somebody did that to us once in, what country was it? Wales. England, Wales, Wales, Wales. No, England, Kent. Someone did that to us once. Okay, Naomi crashed their car. Okay, uh, outside a farm. I can't remember the circumstances. The farm in the lady came out, you know, uh, we never met them before. They helped her out. And guess what they did? This is no joke. They bought her a new car. Seriously. We're friends with them forever after that. <laughs> you know, we really became close friends with them. And, and, and this is what God was doing. I was able to walk with her on her journey to heaven. You know, and just walk through those final months of her life with her. But all that was later. But really, you know, not only did she comfort them, he said, it's going to be okay, sweetheart. <laughs> But she bought her a car to replace the one she lost. That's what you do, Lorraine, okay? <laughs> Seriously, and so the comfort comes from the fact that, hey, that we're reassured that God is going to do something for us. He's heard. He may not answer in the way that we want, but he's listened. In verse 7, here's, here's what comes to us. And the peace of God comes. And the peace of God comes. God releases something into our situation that we find when we're in communication, in prayer to God. Here's what a commentator says. The peace of God follows directly from peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I think the point is, whenever the Bible talks about peace, peace, it always comes with a clause. It always comes with conditions, if you like. And whenever the Bible speaks about peace, it's always referring to that. 
in the first instance. Can you see what the first thing that God gives you when we come to God in prayer with all our anxiety? The first thing it gives you is a dose of that. How does that give you peace? How does that give you peace? The cross. Yeah. It just reminds you. I know that is tormenting you. And it seems like such a big thing. But hey, do you know the biggest thing in your life? It was the war between you and me, says God. That was the biggest thing. And you know what I want you to know? I know that's bothering you, but let me just remind you, David, you're a piece of me. Your sins are forgiven. Okay? However difficult, however big that is, whatever that's doing to you in torment, the peace that you get first when you come to God in prayer is the peace. Hey, I have peace with God. My sins are dealt with. I know where I'm going. I know my lot. That's what's behind that hymn. That's what be, it's behind that hymn. Okay, by Spafford. Whatever my lot. And you know the context. I won't go into it. You know the context, don't you? Look it up if you don't. Okay? Whatever my lot. However anxious I am. However bereaved. Desperate. Whatever my lot. This is the peace that he found. That was taught me to say. It is well. It is well. With my soul. You know, much of the peace we lack in life is because we forget that one great solace we have is that our sins are forgiven us. Notice the degree of this peace. It starts with the knowledge of peace with God and it moves from that to peace in every other situation. Because all of a sudden you see, when we're reminded of the cross and that Jesus died for my sins, I'm instantly reminded, therefore, Jesus loves me. Therefore, Jesus cares about my situation. Therefore, Jesus knows about my situation. Therefore, Jesus is already apprehending my situation. Therefore, this is already taken care of. Can you see? So I start with my sins forgiven, and I end up... What are you worried about? You foolish guy. What are you worried about? He's got this. It's peace of God. And look, look at the level of it. Look at the level of it. It transcends all understanding. There's the Greek word here that stands behind this speaks of someone who is sitting high above everything else. Sitting, it's a picture of the umpire in a tennis game who sits with the bird's eye view, who controls the game, whose word is final. You ask John McEnroe if you don't believe me. Okay? Because no matter how much you bully him, his word is final. And I think that's the point here. Is that this transcends, this, is, this peace is, is transcends everything. It's the highest level of authority. It's something that's beyond, it's a power, if you like, that's beyond all power. Beyond comprehension means beyond imagination. And so he gives you a level of peace that is the level of peace of an umpire in a tennis match when McEnroe is shouting of his mouth 
and if you see, if he's a good umpire, he just sits there, doesn't he? I find it bewildering. And he's just so calm. Excuse me, sir. <laughs> and it's that level, it's that kind of authority over your circumstances. It's a piece that, that is as powerful as an umpire in a tennis match and beyond. Here's what it does for you. It guards your hearts and minds. This is military terminology. Okay, this is a garrison town, Philippi. It, was, it had an infrastructure by which you could not penetrate that city. It had, it had a Roman guard structure which you were not going to pass and enter that city unless you were permitted to do so. And, and so he's using this terminology from, from his local environment and it's reminding them, look, okay, this piece that you have, which, over, which, which is all controlling and all persuasive, okay, pervasive, something like that, I can't quite think of the word just now, okay, will guard your hearts and your minds. In other words, it's, it will shield your heart and your mind from collapse, from bewilderment, from Satan's attack. Through prayer, friends, we come to a situation and an experience of peace which, which given to us, will put a hedgerow around our hearts and lives and minds, it seems, that nothing will be able to rob us of it. You can have that level of peace about the most formidable circumstances you're in. You can be in the most dire circumstantial circumstances and know a level of peace which nothing or no one can rob you of or penetrate and take away from you. I want to give you an example. You, know, you might think, no, it's impossible. When I'm at that level, yes, uh, yes, things do get in. Yes, it can be robbed. No, it can't. It can't. Not if we stay in that place of connectivity to God. Look, we're always, you know, if you, look, you know I, don't, I don't know if you find this, I find this in our house, when the weather's bad, we lose internet connection. Does that happen with you? It happens in our house. I don't know why. You think in today's age, they'll have, they'll have a way around technology, but we're always losing internet connection when the weather's bad. And the reason we sometimes lose our peace is because we're not in the place of prayer, because in the place of prayer, when we're connected to God, here's what it looks like. Next picture, please, Charlie. Here's what it looks like. You may, you may remember... You, you would have seen this, if, whether you've read some history in Christian or done some theology. It's Hugh Latimer and Nicholas Ridley. It's, it's when they were martyred in England, okay? Okay? For holding to their faith. And here's what they said. Look, these are famous words, you know them. Play the man, Master Ridley. We shall light, we shall this day light such a candle by God's grace in England, as I trust shall never be put out, said Hugh Latimer amidst flames, whilst his flesh was melting to his friend Nicholas Ridley, who, for his part, if you know the story, who initially uh, betrayed his faith, then later recanted, and because of that, because of that, look what he says, he put his hand out, the one that signed the paper, okay, into the flames, so that he burned first, as an act of repentance. And the two of them died not in, anxi not in anxiety, 
In agony, maybe. But not in anxiety. Who died in peace. Who died in absolute peace. Before God. In the most anxiety. In a situation where there should have been more anxiety than you could ever imagine. You see, when we're connected to God to that degree, we know a peace that cannot be found in any other way, in any other place. Look, I need to finish, man. My time is up. We're going to sing this hymn just as we finish. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. We don't sing that hymn enough, and we don't do it enough. I want to encourage us to live in a state of being in prayer. One of the things I learned, I don't know, at Bible college, I think it was at Christian conferences, as a pastor, we do not pray for the Word. Prayer is the word. When I'm praying for the work of God here, that is my work. When you're in prayer, Christian, that is Christianity. Let me encourage you. I've got to finish. and I'll, I need to wrap up quickly. Be in a state of prayer. Live in that state. Be in communication with God. Look, and it starts here. Do you know, we don't pray not because we don't want to pray. We all want to pray. We don't pray because we're lazy. And I say that about myself as I say, well, because what I mean by laziness, laziness is exhibited this way. We never put any structures into place to ensure that we pray. We're too lazy to set up a structure. And let me tell you, friends, if you don't set up a structure, you will not pray. I guarantee it. The first thing about prayer is we have to set up structures. Write in your diary, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 2 o'clock, 7 o'clock, I don't care where it is, whatever suits you, that that is when you pray. That is when you pray. At least once a day, structuring, please structuring a prayer time, just once a day. Five minutes will do. But just structure it into your day. And then from there, be in a state of prayer. We must live in a place where God's peace comes to us. And it comes to us. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, this is how, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And it's then, and it's then, and it's then... It's then that the peace of God, which cannot be overcome, which transcends all understanding, which cannot be stolen, will guard your hearts and minds, even if it comes to us being thrown in the fire for Jesus. That's how you get happiness in the Christian life. That's how you get the job. Pray for this amen. Living Word Bible Church. Teaching the Bible verse by verse.